0: You guys can go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians 5. My friend Layton is going to read our passage today, which will be verses um, 1 through 14. So go ahead, Layton.
1: Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be in partnerships with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth and find out what pleases the lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light this is why it is said wake up sleeper rise from the dead and christ will shine on you okay
0: thank you So just a quick reminder that um, as you look at the slide, we're we're kind of on the walk worthy portion of the book of Ephesians. We talked about the first three chapters really focus on the made worthy part where, um, you know, Paul went into great detail on all the things that God has done for us. The person he's made us in him as holy and blameless, how he went about uh, the process of saving us through the blood of Christ. And then in, in the next three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, he kind of shifts gears and he starts talking about what are the practical um, life applications or how can we um, show him um, our, our response to his gift of grace and live in that way. And so we started chapter 4 with the important reminder to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, um, and as we enter chapter 5 today, we're going to get into the meat of living out our faith in very practical terms in arenas that, as you can tell from what we read this morning, um, can cause a lot of heartache and a lot of damage if our actions aren't brought under the Lordship of Christ. And so we just, uh, I want to just give a few quick reminders for us today. Um, one is that as followers of Christ, we need to remember that we are not who we used to be, okay? Okay. We are are somebody completely different, right? New creations in Christ. And not only that, but we're also called to union with a people, the body of Christ. And so everything that we read as we talk about the practical applications of that has to be understood in the context of community, okay? And, And everything that we see has to be seen through this communal lens. So that's one thing we need to just kind of keep in mind. Secondly is that we are to be set apart, okay? We're to be set apart. We are fundamentally now different than the rest of the world, right? God, for whatever reason, has opened our eyes and chosen us. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed, forgiven. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are no longer uh, a part of this world. It says that we are king to, uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven now. Scripture says that that means that we are now aliens and strangers In the world okay so we're living something completely different than the way we used to so uh and and first peter 2 9 states this very clearly it says but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light i want you to leave that up for a second what kind of grabs your attention as you as you read that verse as we're coming to terms with this new identity of who we are what our life is about what resonates with you or what what jumps off of the page yeah um just the fact that it was darkness that he called us out of like it
1: wasn't just like a dimly lit room mm. like halfway there half like it was dark yeah it was like a bad place but then he called us out of that into
0: wonderful life. yeah like yeah it wasn't like we were just kind of in a dimly lit room right He called us out of darkness, like a pit. We had no hope, okay? And then, actually, one of the things I remember most from seminary was this class I had on the book of John. The book of John, more than any other book, uses this imagery of darkness and light, and it talks about this idea that if you were not walking towards uh, the light, then your, your back is turned to the light, and you are moving further and further in the darkness. There's only two ways that you can go, either towards the light or towards darkness. That's it. Those are your options, Okay? Yeah. What else? That's good. Yeah. That we are chosen people. That we are chosen people. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's no individualism in the statement. There's no what? Individualism. Okay. It's not a chosen person, or mm. a priest,
1: or a citizen.
0: Yeah. Nation, we are collectively that. Yeah. He says there's no individual language in here. Everything's about a people, a nation. Okay. Anything else? That's great. That's good. Okay? So this is this is the imagery that that we're trying to understand of who we are now and what we're about. Okay? And the whole reason that we were called to all those things was to declare the praises of him who called us out of that darkness, right? So our purpose is to praise him. Okay? My final reminder for us this morning is that change is a process. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago, okay, that, that for all of us, as we, when we began our faith journey at whatever age that was, that we became a new creation. That means we all started as spiritual infants. Wherever we are, we're on that age spectrum when we became Christians, okay? So there's a process there. And thankfully, God is extremely patient with us as we mature and he understands that it's, it's gonna be a process as well. And so last week, this change process, Justin in his message, it was described as this idea of putting off the old self, right? That old sinful nature, and we use the imagery of clothes, right? That You're taking off kind of the old clothes, and then you're putting on the new garments of Christ. And it's this deliberate choice that you make on a daily basis to live into this new identity. It's, it's like, you know, I don't know, how many of you parents lay out you know, your clothes for your kids at night when they're little. Anybody do that anymore? Is it, yeah, Kelsey, that's why I like that. There you go. I see it. All right? Because you want to make sure the kid doesn't look like an idiot, right? When they go out into the public and represent your name. I used to work at this camp um, called Canikuk down in Branson, and kids would be gone for a month. And there were literally kids that came to camp with Ziploc bags with their clothes for each day for 26 days, Ziplocked and labeled. This is what you're going to wear this date. You're like, oh, man, I want to meet that mom, right? <laughs> yes, I could have lunch with her, okay? So we need to get this imagery of, like, God does that for us, right? Like, next to our bed, when we get up in the morning, he's laid out the robe of righteousness. He's he set our crown down as prince or princesses, right? We are sons and daughters of the king of kings. And he's hoping that when we get up in the morning, that we get out of those garments of whatever kind of grungy stuff we sleep in. And we choose to take those off and and to put on our true identity each day, right? Because when we do that, our ability to live as new creations each day will largely determine how we do it imitating Christ, right? If somebody's a Michael Jackson imitator, they don't just wear whatever they want, right? They wear Michael Jackson's outfit. It helps them get into the, the mindset of this is who I am for tonight on the Vegas stage, right? And we do the same thing. And as we, as we put on our new transformed uniform, so to speak, we also then, our mind is set on, I'm, I'm going to try to obey him in every area of life, okay? So chapter five begins with this exhortation to follow God's example, or other translations say to be imitators of God and live like he lived. And if you look at the end of chapter 4, it kind of talks about how he lived towards us. It says that he was gracious and kind and forgiving towards our disobedience. And so Paul's saying we need, to, we need to imitate that love towards others. But then he also gives us this other reminder here in chapter 5, the first couple of verses, that he says we are dearly loved children. And honestly, for some people in this room, that might take some, use to, uh, some time to get used to. Some of you grew up in families where you maybe didn't feel dearly loved by your folks. And so coming into a relationship with God and him telling you, hey, you're, I'm your heavenly father and you're my chosen son or daughter, like that's a relationship that you're not used to. And honestly, I didn't get fathered as a kid. And so it's been an adjustment for me to learn how to let God father me. I'm kind of used to just calling my own shots. <laughs> and, and so it is this adjustment time, this process. Guys, the reality is, is that we have a father who loves us. We have a father that desires for us to thrive. And we have a father who knows best how that happens, how we have the abundant life that he has planned for us, including in the sexual realm that we're going to talk about today. So those of you that were asleep, you just, your ears kind of perked up. You're like, oh, Hey. This might be exciting, right? So, these first two verses are are kind of important preludes to the discussion that follows. Paul says that we're to walk in the way of love. Okay? What is that way? So, Paul goes on to, in verse 2, talk about the way of Christ. He said it was self-sacrificial, right? That that Christ showed us this by surrendering, surrendering his life to God's will. To laying down and yielding to god's plan for his life and it says that way was a fragrant offering to god when jesus lived in that way it was a fragrant offering to god and i think of it like this those of you guys that have children you know that feeling that you get when your child does something that makes you proud right when they act in a way maybe you you caught them being humble or kind, or generous, or forgiving, or loving. And in, in, in a parent's heart, it's like, oh, man, all the, all the hard work's paid off, right? And in those moments, you just kind of just kind of like soak in the aroma of that, the beauty of that. You're just like, oh, man, I'm so grateful. Or maybe in your own life, you know, when you've, you know that you've chosen to do the thing that God would want you to do. And you're just so grateful that God gave you the whatever it was, the courage, the the love, the forgiveness that you needed to respond to that person in that moment, the exact way that you know that God would want you to. It's like there's just this aroma that comes off of you that God just kind of is like, wow, I love it when my children are walking the way that my son walked. Walk in the way of love. And that's an important context for this next section Because it's a mindset, an understanding that we're going to have to have to embrace the set-apart life that God's going to ask us to live. And without trust in the goodness of our Father, we will never want to surrender what feels good in the moment for something good later on. Okay, I want you to hear that again. Without trust in the goodness of our Father, we will not want to surrender what feels good in the moment for something that's good later on, okay? I want to read verses 3 and 4 again. It says this, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So, this is gonna be a touchy <laughs> subject. <laughs> oh man, you know, you only have to wrestle with it for a few minutes on Sunday morning and then maybe the rest of the week, but I've had to deal with this for several days now of how I'm gonna communicate this. So, anyways, here we go. Remember, guys, we talked about when we become a new creation, our identity means that we're now citizens of a different kingdom, right? We're playing by different rules altogether, a completely different way of operating, so we are all learners, especially as it goes with the sexual realm because Christ calls us into this totally different sexual ethic than the world celebrates. It's completely different. And for the Ephesians who lived in this pagan culture uh, with corrupt views on sexuality, this new orientation was going to take some getting used to. Okay, it's one thing for Paul to come to town in Ephesus and you've never heard about Jesus and him to start talking about this Savior that you're supposed to have and embrace and that you need. So that's one thing. <laughs> and, and, and maybe we can get on board with that because most of us realize, hey, yeah, I'm kind of flawed. I can see that I might need a Savior. But then he also comes along and says, now, he also was Lord of your life. Here are kind of the new kingdom ways of operating, and now we need to bring all of these things in your life under his authority. Now you're like, whoa, well, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> that that's getting a little personal right and so you can imagine that that Paul as he dives into this he kind of hits him really hard from the beginning he just comes out of the gate with it and he says that you are not even to have a hint of sexual immorality or impurity and the greek word there for immorality is porneia which is obviously where we get the word pornography from the greek word for impurity means to be mixed Okay, so I thought of it like an impure metal. Like if you have something, a metal that's valuable, and then you mix it with something less valuable, it compromises the quality, right, and the integrity of that strong metal. So Paul is saying that in this area of of sexual um, integrity, we can't be halfway in. We can't give part of our hearts to Jesus and then part of our hearts to something or someone else and make that thing an idol okay? There is no middle ground there. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a window into my journey in this area, whether you want a window or not. I'm the one with the microphone, right? It's going to be fun, trust me, okay? Um, So, I came to Christ my junior year of high school, Right And before that, I really had pretty much zero spiritual input and definitely wasn't really given an example of you know, what the biblical way of going about handling your, your sexual life at all. And so I was certainly trying to learn, how do I submit my life under the authority of Christ in, in every area? All right? And so I really wanted to do that well. I lived in the, the why wait era of Christianity, which was actually a book that was written by that title. Um... And, and basically, it was people laying out very clear the biblical um, argument for why we should all wait until we're married to have sex, okay? So, it was, it was all over the place. I've talked about a lot. And the group of friends that I had, I went to Missouri State, and uh, that I had the freshman guys that kind of came in with me, we were pretty committed to trying to figure out, okay, how do we get through college and try to really live um, sexually pure lives? And... Um, I want to, you know, first of all, admit to you (laughs) that this was in the era before the internet and before cell phones, okay? That's how old I am, (laughs) all right? I was going to college before those things. So I understand that the conversation now is much different than the conversation we had 30 years ago, okay? The temptation and things that some of you guys deal with now, all of us really deal with, is just different. Okay, so some things are different, and some things are eternal, and hopefully I'm going to share some eternal truths with you. My, my, my friends and I, we kind of chose to kind of come at this from kind of a lighthearted um, way, and we called ourselves the Lonely Guys. And when we would, we had, we had symbols, and when we would take pictures or see each other on campus, we would flash, you know, certain symbols. So in a picture, we might put the L up for Lonely. The other symbol that we had was no ring finger, Um, and to to, to prove that it really happened, I've got a photo from college here. If you could put that up, the guy flashing the L was the best man in my wedding, Jim Robertson. So um, there are more pictures like that out there, college era lonely guys. Dave, you remember you were there, yeah? Dave was never lonely, so he (laughs) he can't relate. (laughs) I'm kidding. So, it sounds stupid, right? And we were just kind of making, making a joke out of it. But honestly, underneath the stupid outward things that we did, there was this really genuine desire, at least I'll speak for myself, is that I wanted my sexual life, the integrity, hopefully, that I had there, I wanted to live in such a way that those things didn't become a distraction or a hindrance to somebody else's faith or somebody else's journey. We were all involved in ministry. It was student-led. Um, and so there was you know, some pressure on us as student leaders to try to live in a certain way that, that set other people up well to hear the gospel. And I didn't want anything that I was doing in, in the sexual realm of my life to be a hindrance or a distraction to somebody else's faith. And I took that really, really seriously, what the Bible would call being above reproach, right? And we knew that community was the key. And we were accountable to one another. And we gave permission to one another to kind of call one another out. And we did on a lot of occasions. And we would see somebody kind of making a choice with their boyfriend or girlfriend that was like, eh, I don't know about that, man. That looks, that looks pretty fishy. Like, you probably put yourself in a situation there that wasn't good. And we would, we would tell each other that because we cared about one another. And a huge part of that was keeping things in the light, We were pretty big on really challenging one another. Don't do things in secret. Don't go behind closed doors. Don't turn out lights in places where lights should probably be on. And I I actually made a commitment to myself. So I went to prom my senior year of high school and um, just with kind of a friend, a girl that went to Young Life, and I I went to prom with her and I kissed her that night, okay? I know this is shocking (laughs) for all of you. And I just want to tell you that the reality of that moment was that it was just pretty much selfish. And, and I really felt convicted, not just that I kissed a girl. I mean, that's not in itself a bad thing. But the motives behind my heart in doing it were really just about my own gratification. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't act like I really cared much for her heart much, okay? And so that kind of didn't sit well with me. So I made a commitment that I was not going to kiss another girl until I thought I'd found the person I was going to marry. And so what that meant was was that I didn't kiss another girl uh, for three years and eight months until I kissed my future wife, Kristen, who's sitting here this morning, (laughs) right there, my senior year of college. So I went from my senior year of high school to my senior year of college not kissing a girl. Or a boy, for that matter. (laughs) And let's just be clear. It's not that I didn't have opportunities. (laughs) I mean, look at me, right? And then picture 30 years less and 25 pounds less, and you're thinking, man, that guy. Just look at Zach, right? (laughs) Handsome fella. Okay? So I remember one night, Kelsey just can't handle herself, right? (laughs) like, oh, Bob. <laughs> yeah. So one night, I remember um, we had kind of a, our ministry had a dance, and um, I was kind of friends with this girl, and I knew that she was kind of interested in me, and I was just like, not sure. Like, there was just something there not clicking, um, just in terms of how we thought about some things really kind of honestly in the spiritual realm that I was just like, ah, I just don't think she's going to be the one, and, but we were friends, and, and I drove her home. Um, back to her house that night after the dance and I remember walking up to the door and then you stand outside the door and it was kind of this awkward silence like what are we doing here (laughs) who's making the next move what's going on and she actually like invited me to come in to the house and this is what I was thinking it was like red lights and sirens kids right and I respectfully declined and I was like, I'm just gonna head home because I honestly didn't trust myself. I was like, if I go into this house right now, that house was dark so I knew her roommates weren't there <laughs> and I knew that she liked me and probably wanted there to be some kind of a relationship and I was just like, man, if I go in there, I'm, I don't know what I'm gonna do and I just can't do it. And that's not a decision you can make in the moment. Like, all the decisions I'd been making up to that point to kind of have the strong convictions that I had allowed me to be able to say in that moment, I'm not going there. And the problem is is that as young people, we don't put enough thought into what am I going to do when that moment hits that then our bodies just take over and we just react. And of course, whatever was going to go on behind the door was probably going to be pretty fun. It was probably going to feel good for a few moments. But I'd already made some decisions, so it allowed that decision to be easier for me And when it comes to this conversation of sexual purity, I usually ask young people to make God's argument. So to kind of flip the narrative, most of the time people are trying to justify why it's okay to do whatever they want to do. I'm like, let's let's make God's argument on this, okay? Why is his way what's best for us? And so I want to ask everybody this question. We'll get some thoughts on this. What wouldn't exist if people stayed sexually pure until marriage? If every person in the world... Stayed sexually pure until marriage. What would not exist in this world? What broken things wouldn't exist? Let's just start firing them. Yes. STDs STDs would not exist. That is correct. What else? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Fatherless homes. Yes. This is one of our country's biggest problems, right? What else? Raise your hands if you have something. That's it. STDs and fatherless homes. <laughs> That's all God knows. Nope, come on. Here we go, Phil. I think there would be a whole lot less uh, relationship scars. Yes. Yes, less relationship scars, regrets,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that this would be completely non-existent, but just the whole, I mean, sex
0: trafficking just a lot of innocent people being caught up in Yes. Abuse and yes, there would be less hopefully abuse, sex trafficking, porn industry, all that stuff. Be way fewer abortions. Way fewer abortions and unwanted children in our world, right? Okay? That, I mean, this is just like in, in two minutes' time, we've identified some major, major issues in our world that cause a lot of the pain and a lot of the brokenness and a lot of the need for counseling and all kinds of things that we go through, right? And so there's wisdom and love in the way that God has created sexual relationships to work And I do know this, that at the heart of sexual immorality and impurity and greed is selfishness. It's selfishness. When we give ourselves over to impurity, we're not acting on God's or ours or anyone else's best, with their best interest in mind. We are using people for our own self-gratification, and we are looking to something or someone else We're making them an idol, and we're asking them to to meet the desires of our heart, and they were never created to do that. Whether that's pornography or sexting or making out or having sex with a boyfriend or girlfriend or hooking up with an acquaintance, those behaviors are not putting off the old self. And Paul states it bluntly. He says, these are improper for God's holy people. It's not walking in the way of love. It's not imitating Christ, who was self-sacrificial. It's imitating the world. And as I matured in my faith, I knew that I had to align myself with God's desires in every arena of my life, and I needed to operate in a completely different way than the the selfish way in which I treated girls up to that point in my life, which is why I took such strong measures to create a lonely guy club, right? With an official symbol, all right? I did some of these radical things. <laughs> and I'm amazed at how many young people that I talk to that just really play with fire in this area. And you'll sit down with young people and, and they'll be so convinced that they are different than the 99% of other people their age that those people can't handle it, but I can handle you know, sharing a bed with my boyfriend but not doing anything. You know, I'm just like, okay, sure you can, right? They're so convinced. And Paul doesn't play games with this stuff. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. (laughs) And I could do a whole sermon on that. (laughs) We don't have time for that this morning. You are not your own. You're not your own. When we come into a relationship with God, we make him Lord and savior of our life that lord part means that he calls the shots now that we're submitting ourselves to that he makes the rules we we've ceded that responsibility to him and we're trusting him and i love this quote that i came across this week it says this god's purpose in giving sex is not primarily for the gratification of the individual but for the bonding together of husband and wife in a one flesh relationship Certain expressions of sexuality are sin not because God wants to deprive some aspect of enjoyment but because they work against his primary purpose for sex. So it's not achieving what he designed it to achieve when it's not done within the confines or the boundaries of which he created it. And when we just run through the flashing red lights and do whatever we want in the moment, There's a spirit of willful disobedience present in our hearts. It's a spirit of willful disobedience. And I do want to say this, is that every single person in this room is willfully disobedient in some area of their faith journey. So today we're talking about sex, and it's a big topic because as Paul just outlined, like, it has to do with our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's different. The consequences of it are different than other sins okay but we we can't stand in judgment of people that are willfully disobedient in an area when we're willfully disobedient in our own areas okay so i'm standing up here with you this morning those of you that might struggle in this area saying i'm no better than you i know the truth and don't do it all the time okay But there is this spirit of willful disobedience, and I think we all need to understand that that's a big deal to God. Like, it's not just some minor thing that he's like, ah, he's all right, it's cool. No, he's not. (laughs) And verse 5 through 7 that we read earlier makes that very clear. What is Paul talking about here, okay? Because he talks about God's wrath and, and that those people can't be a part of the kingdom of God right because every one of us everyone in this room has made some kind of mistake in the area of sexual intimacy okay whether you're not married or you are married okay because clue phone just because you get married doesn't mean that this is not still a struggle just you know what do they call that where they reveal the truth of a movie like uh, it doesn't what's that yeah the spoiler alert thank you It would have been so much better if I'd have known the word, (laughs) all right? Okay, so we have to hold some things in tension here, okay, because we've all made mistakes. So one truth that we need to hold in tension is that in Romans 8, Paul says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? God already knows our past, present, and future struggles with sexual sin. He already knows it. He's not surprised, wherever we're at on our journey, that we find ourselves where we do. This is not like, oh my gosh, I didn't think they were going to do this. No, he knew. He knew the moment that he offered you the gift of salvation and and forgiveness on the cross, exactly how you were going to be struggling 30 or 40 years down the road with this very topic. And he still chose to extend that to you. Okay, so he's not surprised. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that God's heart isn't broken. And it doesn't mean that we can continue to ignore his conviction of our sin. Jesus forgave the adulterous woman. If you remember the story in John chapter 8, but at the end of that conversation, he says, but now go and sin no more, right? Don't continue in the broken pattern that you're in, the sinful, disobedient pattern that you're in. (laughs) I will forgive you, but go and sin no more. Like, you gotta change. You can't stay like that. It's not healthy (laughs) for you or anybody else. what Paul is referring to in reference to God's wrath is a pattern of habitual Disobedience, Habitual disobedience A rebellious spirit That refuses to yield to God's authority Over a particular area of our life It's a prideful heart that wants its way And thinks, I know better than God How my life is going to thrive A heart that ignores the advice of counselors And trusted friends in the faith Or doesn't, honestly, probably doesn't seek them out To begin with because you, you know what they're going to say, and you just want to do what you want to do, okay? So he's saying that, guys, there's at some point, you can't just continue to be habitually disobedient. Like, that's communicating to God that you don't, you don't honor him. Like, it has to end at some point. His patience has an expiration date on it sometimes when we are willfully disobedient towards him. And that goes for any area of life. Today we're talking about sex, but it could be about money. It could be about um, the talents and abilities that you have and how you use those, whether for his glory or your own. It could be how you operate in relationships, whether you're forgiving and loving to people like he's asked you to be. So it's not just sex. It's every area. And, and we're running short on time this morning to get through the rest of this passage as you're telling, like, wow, we're going to be here till three. No, I'm just going to cut some things short. All right? So I do want to highlight a couple things. I love what he says in verse 10. Find out what pleases the Lord, not what pleases ourselves in the moment. Okay? So a prayer that we all need to consider is this. God, what would you have me do? So if you're in a relationship (laughs) with somebody else and you're not sure about what the physical part of that should look like you and your partner should be praying god what would you have us do and if you're honestly seeking him out and that's your heart's desire he will lead you towards the truth of how he would like you to operate in that relationship in a way that's pure that's what he's going to do where he's going to take you are you praying that in your relationships not in just sexual relationships any relationship god what would you have me do I would say that if I meet with somebody and and they're struggling in this area and I would ask them, have you prayed that at all? They'd probably say no, (laughs) right? If you're not seeking His answers, it's hard to be led to the truth. And don't tell me that you prayed about it and God said it was okay for you to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your fiance. No, he didn't. You're fooling yourself if you think that that's okay or that God is like, yeah, I'm definitely cool with that. No, and I can talk with you more about that Offline, if you'd like to. Okay? Guys, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And so I sit down with a lot of people who are engaged to each other. Not one of them who has had premarital sex is like excited and proud to tell me that. All of them that have taken that step that they know was improper in terms of keeping in line with how God wants, all of them are embarrassed, ashamed. feel a lot of guilt and regret about that. So just letting you know. and We're going to get into a lot more discussion here in the weeks ahead about how this relates to marriage. Um, So I just want to leave you with this today. As Paul ends this passage with talking about the contrast between darkness and light. And I think most of our problems, as I mentioned before, with sexual temptation could be avoided if we keep things in the light. Guys, when we go behind closed doors and literally into darkness sometimes, and we do things in secret, that's always a recipe for disaster. Stay in the light. Stay in community with others. And as I've told my own children over the years, (laughs) to varying degrees of success, sitting or laying next to your boyfriend or girlfriend in the basement, in the dark, is a bad idea. <laughs> Nothing good is probably going to come from that arrangement. Stay in the light, literally. Stay seen. Stay with other people, right? Not just me and you all the time, but hey, our friends are going to come over. Those are the kinds of things that are going to help you succeed if you're serious about this. That might not be what most young people do, but remember, we're, we're set apart. We're supposed to be different. It should feel different, and it's going to be difficult. We're to operate differently so our hearts will be satisfied by Christ alone first. Then we can enter into relationships like Christ, self-sacrificially. And the last thing I want to leave you with this morning is, what if you're in an unhealthy and disobedient pattern now? Because there's folks here this morning, married or not, that you know I'm in a place where... I'm in an unhealthy place here i'm being disobedient here i don't like it i know it needs to change what would you have me do and this is going to be real short and brief i don't have time to go completely into it today but i do want to say this confession well that's why i read what what i read this morning being unfolded right coming clean being free like god wants to meet you there he's not surprised he can meet you there with healing okay confessing to god and to one another scripture says you know confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Pray with somebody. Confess to a brother or sister in Christ who will love you and help lead you to a place of freedom. Be in community with people. Give people permission to speak truth into your life. Say, hey, when you see me doing this or, or doing that or going into the room or doing whatever, like call me out. Like, don't let me go that way. And the third thing I would just say is flee. Get the heck out of there, right? Justin used that illustration of Joseph and Potiphar last week, right? He didn't hang around and talk about, well, could we make this work? Or no, it's like, I'm gone, right? When I was at that door, doorway with that girl, I was like, woo, woo, you know? It's like, bam, I'm out. I don't trust myself. Flee. All right, hey. Pleasure talking to you this morning. <laughs> Guys, I think the, the, the huge thing behind all of this and why this can be such a tense conversation is because most of the world doesn't trust God's goodness in this. Most people think God's holding out. This is fun. This is exciting. Everybody's doing it. It's got to be good. And you know what? It's not. <laughs> doing it the way he created it to be in the confines and boundaries in which he created it is the good way. Trust me. And it's one of those things you have to trust God on, right? Because some of you are, you wish you were married, you know, and you're still not. And maybe you haven't experienced some of those things. Like, you got to trust God. You got to trust God that He's enough without all that stuff, that He can meet your deepest desires just with Him alone. And that's a hard journey. God, as we come into communion this morning, this would be a great opportunity. If you've got some places in your life, and maybe it's not sex, I'm just saying anything where you are just being willfully disobedient and the spirit is convicting of, it, of you of that thing, it's time to come clean. It's time to unfold and be open and to come before God and say, God, I need your help. I need your healing here. Forgive me for having that spirit in me, okay? Don't come to the table and receive that forgiveness without being confessional, without being contrite and humble and honest, Okay? We're going to give you some time to just reflect quietly and pray. There's gluten-free option at the tables, too. At each one of those tables, just grab it and bring it back to your seat, and you can take it there and leave the cups in the pews. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this conversation this morning. We thank you for the clarity at which you come at this. There's really not a lot of, like, (laughs) um, you know, mincing words here. God, you come at us pretty strongly because you know what's at stake, because every day your heart is broken for people to compromise and give in in these places, and it just wrecks their lives, not only their lives, but the lives of so many others around them, and you know the heartache that comes from not trusting you, not, not sticking to your plan for thriving, human thriving. And God, you desire to see us healed and whole. God, we can turn this narrative around. If it's been a broken pattern in our life, it doesn't have to stay that way. We can be made new in you. And we can develop new patterns that are healthy and bring life. So I just pray that your spirit would speak to us today about any area in our life that we are willfully disobedient in, that you would convict us, help us to just trust your love, God, that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. You're here to embrace us. You love us as a son and daughter. I pray that we just wouldn't live in bondage any longer. We give you this time in Jesus' name.